About a couple weeks ago, I don't know, I was at a restaurant uh, called Jethro's. Anybody ever been to Jethro's? Uh, yeah, I, I love barbecue, so it's, it's one of my favorite things to eat. And uh, we were in Des Moines area, and Jethro's is kind of a popular spot, Jethro's Barbecue. And I ordered the Texas dip. It was uh, brisket, uh, Swiss, and glazed onions on this bread that was to die for. It was great. I really enjoyed the meal. Now, I did not have, you know, the whole menu. I, I did not have the Better Homes and Garden Melt. I did not have the Triple Billy Bacon Burger. I didn't have the State Fair Pork Chop. I didn't have the Prime Rib or the Ribeye. And I certainly did not have the world-famous Adam Emmenecker. You literally have to sign a waiver if you're going to order that because it's so huge. It's like, uh, I didn't have that. I, you know, I, my choice was a, the Texas Dip. And it was great. Now, I could have ordered all of those things, right? And that would have been crazy. I've been rolling out the door or, or worse. Um, but, but in that season, that, that meal was awesome. Now, life is a lot like that. We have this menu of choices from what we wear to where we go to what we eat, how we spend our time. We all make our choices. And and obviously, some choices are more important than others. So we're in this graduation season right now, and I have two boys that are graduating, one from college and one from high school. So our high school is asking things like, where am I going to go to school, and what am I going to study? And my, my college uh, student is saying, whom, whom will I marry? Although he's already made that choice, so he better not be thinking that. So, uh, um, but what career will I pursue? Where will I live? And those become bigger choices, don't they? And, and we often have this menu of choices. We have opportunities like crazy. But then when we say yes, we're often saying no to something else. It's like we can't have the whole menu. So how, how do we determine what we say yes to? And what would God want for us? And what, how does the Bible guide us in that decision-making process? What, what is it that he desires? So today, I want to say this, that if, if in order to know our yes, we need to understand and know God's call on our life. I think if you're like me, many of you maybe ask this question, what is God's will for me? What is his desire for me? I, wanted to I want to explore like that because I think this is a huge thing. For me in my journey, and some of you know that I grew up going to church. It was like that was part of my life as a ch child. And I had this basic understanding that God loved me. And I knew that Jesus died on the cross, but I didn't fully kind of embrace all of that. But when I got to be in, in adulthood, I heard something different that, that God not only wanted me to know him, he, he was inviting me into something. He was inviting me into a way of life that he is, he wanted to give me a life that had meaning and purpose. And that was life transforming for me. And that's that idea of this call. He's summoning, he's inviting, he's saying, I want you to come with me. Let's go on this adventure together. So what does that look like? In fact, if I were uh, to, to define it today, this is how I want to define it today for this talk. What is calling? A calling is a specific vision of how God wants us to use our time, energy, and abilities to serve him in the world. 
a specific vision of how God wants us to use our time, energy, and abilities to serve him in the world. And so you could break that down, and people do often break that down into three broad sort of categories. And the first is this general call. What is that? Well, it's this question, what kind of person do I want to become? And then there's a specific uh, call. What particular assignment that is God inviting me to do or to be a part of? And then it's this idea of the immediate call. How am I paying attention to what is going on right in front of me, right now, right here in, this, in the present, with my current tasks and responsibilities? And God's call is all of those things. So how do we understand? What is God's will for me? My guess is if, if you really thought about it, you would know more than you think you do. I've had people ask me, how do I understand God's call? Well, I would say, I bet you know 90% of what God's will is for you. Let me just describe it. This is how Jesus uh, describes it in Matthew 22. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what is God's will for you? That you love him fully with all that you are that all that you have, and you learn how to love people, that you be a person, that you become a person that is marked by love. Loving God, loving other people. In fact, Jesus says some interesting things about this. He says, I want you to love in such a way that you love with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. In other words, that is a first priority That is my will for you. That is my desire for you. That is what I want for you. I want you to know me, and I want you to love me. What is God's will for your life? What is God's calling in your life? Where does he want you to spend time and energy and your abilities? He wants you to pursue him. Around here, we talk about this. We have these four strategies. We say, we want you to worship God. I want you to come in to places like this where you're expressing praise and worshiping God. And I would even call that that you're invited into this sort of conversational relationship with God, not only here but in your private life, that you are having this ongoing experience of acknowledging God for who he is and what he's done. And we talk about engaging the Bible, that that's an opportunity for us to love God. What is God's will for me? Well, he wants me to be a person who is marked by love. First of all, loving him, but then loving my neighbor as myself. And then Jesus says something crazy. He says, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two things. In other words, he said, you want to hear a summary of the Bible? It's to love God and to love other people. That's it. Now think about this just for a second. We've all maybe heard about the Ten Commandments, or you, you know what those Ten Commandments are. One way of thinking about them is actually to divide them in this, these two categories. What does it mean to love God? And what does it mean to love other people? The first four, really, the first one is, hey, don't have any other gods before me. In other words, you know, 
I'm not on the menu. <laughs> you know, I get to have a little God over here, and I'm, today I'm going to choose a little God over there, you know, that kind of thing. No, I own the restaurant. You know, God's not going to have anything else come before him. He's jealous about that. Don't have any other gods before me. The second is don't create things that might replace me, like money and power and all these things. Don't allow that to, to replace or even graven images to replace me. And then the third one is don't take my name in vain. It matters to me. And then the fourth one is, you know, one day in seven, can you take time out to rest, to remember and to rest, to remember and rest, remember what I've done for you, and find rest, that, keep that Sabbath holy. And then the next six are all about other people, like honor your father and mother, and then it's don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, don't commit adultery, don't covet. So loving God is all about kind of keeping God priority in our life. And loving other people is if when you do these other things, when you steal or lie or cheat or commit adultery, you're not really loving. So don't do that. So what is God's general call? It's really marked by a decision. What kind of person do you want to become? Will you be a person who is marked, first of all, first and foremost, by love? Will you love me and will you love other people? But then there's something even more, I think, that Jesus invites us into, this sort of broad theme, and that, that is this. He says in Mark chapter 10, he said, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, I'm going to disadvantage myself so that I can come for your advantage. I am a servant. I've come to serve. And in fact, he calls his followers to do the very same thing. I want you to be my servant. So first of all, will you be marked by love? But second, will you become a servant, disadvantaging yourself for the sake of others? To do what, you might ask? What is it that he wants us to do? Well, in Acts chapter 1, he says this, to his disciples, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So I want you to be marked by love. I want you to go into the world, be my servants, and I want you to tell the story of what I've been doing so that everyone can know what is God's will for you? He wants you to love him. He wants you to love other people. He wants you to go as a servant into the world. So wherever you go, no matter what you do, God's will for you is those things. That you become a person who is loving. That you become a servant telling his story. That you engage in this evangelistic mandate that he's given to his followers. But then more than that, he says this, I think I want you to do good. You go as a servant to do good. In, in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said these words, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I want you to do good. I want you to be salt and light. I want you to go out into the world and be be a preserving sort of kind of person. I want you to shine light where there's darkness. Where there's darkness, it's not okay. So go and be that kind of person. What is God's will? What is God's general call for you? That you love me. That you love other people. That you go as a servant into the world. Whatever you do, that's what you're called to do. That's what you're invited into by the God of heaven. Now, here's where a lot of us sort of get hung up, right? Because I think we've also been given a a unique assignment, or we discover a unique assignment. What is that specific thing? What unique assignment will I fulfill? That, I believe, is marked not by, by a decision, but marked by a discovery, a process of discovery. The Apostle Paul In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He's given us something to do. That's an amazing thing. So how do we discover that? Well, maybe I just need for a moment just to to make a distinction between a call and a career because oftentimes we think about God's calling as a career. Well, I don't think they're quite the same thing, although I think there, there are lots of overlap or the potential for overlap. So what is a career? A career is a particular line of work one does to earn an income. But what's a calling? A specific vision of how God wants us to use our time, energy, and abilities to serve him in the world. So wherever I go, I'm going as a person who is marked by love and marked as a servant of Jesus. Loving God, loving other people, going as a servant. But there is something specific. So being a farmer is a career but caring for God's creation and the land and producing quality food for the world, that's a calling. Selling insurance is a career, the success of which is determined by the number and size of policies sold. But helping people become good stewards of their resources, that's a calling. Managing a sports store is a career. Challenging people to use their leisure time to find refreshment and renewal is a calling. Teaching social studies at a junior high is a career, and thank the Lord for those people, right? That's a career. But providing instruction, support, and guidance to adolescents going through a difficult passage in life, that's a calling. Functioning as a secretary is a career. Organizing an office so that details are handled efficiently, but never at the expense of people, That's a calling. So what is it, the unique assignment that you will fulfill? Jerry Sitzer, who's written an amazing book called The Will of God as a Way of Life, writes, a career causes people to think of income, power, position, and prestige. 
A calling inspires people to consider human need, moral absolutes, and the welfare of society. And then he goes on to say, a calling is, quote, a way of seeing the world with the eyes of the heart. What moves you? What's your passion? What are your giftedness? What are your specific gifts that God has given you? A way of seeing the world with the eyes of the heart. It's the place where my passion and the world's need, need collide. That's a calling of God. Now, it's often not something that we expect. It's still this journey of discovery, and it often takes time to discover. I remember uh, we meet as a staff every other week, the whole staff, and uh, we meet around tables in the commons, and I was talking to our table. There's about eight of us around the table. I said, how many of you expected to be on staff with Orchard? You know, like, yeah, I, I, I kind of knew that, that this is what I wanted to do. Not a single one. And it, was, it was interesting. We're having this conversation. I said, so, okay, so how did you come to, to be here? Well, how, are, how are you sitting here on staff with us today? And, and almost all of them said, well, it began with this, this idea, I just, just love Jesus. I, I just wanted to serve, and I wanted to, to find a place where I could do that. And I got involved with some kids, or I got involved in student ministry, or something like that. And then things would happen, and, and then all of a sudden I was being asked, hey, would you like to do this and get paid for it? They're like, yeah. And that's, that's how they came to be. They kind of fell into it. They began realizing, I have some gifts here. I have a passion here. I want to serve. I want to do this. So if our general call is, first of all, what kind of person am I going to be? In other words, what am I going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to be a kind of person who loves God and loves other people. I'm going to be the kind of person who goes as a servant into the world, disadvantaging myself for the sake of others then I think God gives us incredible freedom to determine what it is, that specific thing, that he has called you to do. I used to think it was, it was like a bullseye, like a target, you know, like darts, if you will. And I really stink at darts, by the way. But, but I was thinking, you know, I have, to, I have to somehow discover, I have to figure it out, I have to hit that bullseye just perfectly, and I'm, otherwise I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss out. And then I kind of came to a different conclusion. I was thinking more like it's, there may be that bullseye that I kind of see in the distance, but, but it's separated by about 10 sets of doorways all along the way. You can see the doorways, and you can see that bullseye, and you think, oh, if I just shot an arrow, I could, I could get there. But the Christian life isn't like that. It's more like this. It's like I'm going to take one step of obedience I'm going to enter into that first doorway. And so you take that one step of obedience and you enter into that, step, that doorway and you're like, wow, this is a whole new vista, a whole new arena. I never knew that this existed, this room. And it's like, wow, and there's two more open doors. And so you go, go one first marked by love, marked as a servant, and I'm seeking to love God, love other people, and serve him. And then it's like this other door opens up, and I enter into a whole other room that I didn't even know existed. 
And over time, it's like, wow, you discover some things about yourself. You discover things about God. And like, wow, he created me specifically to do this. That is powerful. But am I being obedient in the initial steps? Am I being the kind of person that he wants me to be? What if I told you that God doesn't really care where you go to school or what you do in your life or who you marry? He's more interested in the person that you become. Are you loving him? Are you loving other people? Are you seeking to know him? Are you going as a servant? Now, he deeply cares because he cares for you. But are the people around you seeking those same things? Where are your strengths? Where are your passions? He gives freedom for us to discover. It's this open, wide open thing. It's not a bullseye, but it is a journey of discovery. Okay, let me talk about this immediate call, this idea. So here I am, God's general call. What kind of person will I become? It's up to you. What's that unique assignment that he's called me to do? That's a discovery process. You need to know yourself and you need to know God. But then there is this sort of sense of immediate call. In other words, how am I paying attention to the present demands and tasks of my life? Am I seeing what's right in front of me? That's really the question to answer. Am I seeing what's right in front of me? How many of you have ever heard of, of Jeremiah 29, 11, this verse? It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Anybody ever heard that? You know, it's okay if you haven't. It's a fairly popular verse, especially this time of year. You know, it goes out to a lot of graduates. Like, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to give, harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, I think it's a great verse, don't get me wrong, but it's one of the misquoted verses of the Bible. Why? Because it's usually ripped out of context and misunderstood. So if you were to put it into context, I think there's a much deeper meaning that's going on here. Here, let me tell you what the context is. God's people, whom Jeremiah has been, been warning over and over again, have been ripped from their homes, they're taken as slaves into Babylon, from Jerusalem to Babylon. So they have lost everything. They've lost their, lost their homes, their livelihoods. Many of them have lost family members, and now they are slaves. They're refugees. They've lost it all. Their circumstances are terrible. And you know what God says to them? Now this is the Stainhook translation, Okay. He says, suck it up. It's very harsh. He says, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry, have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city 
to which I have carried you into exile. In other words, I want you to bloom where you're planted. I want you to pay attention to what's happening right in front of you. Don't always think that the grass is greener over there. Don't always think that I've got some grand plans for you. This is your plan. This is my plan. Bloom right here, right now. Take care of those things that are right in front of you. You know, 44 years ago, my mother-in-law came down with an illness. Some of you know this story, but she uh, lost feeling in her hands and then suddenly she couldn't walk. They didn't know what was going on. They rushed her to Iowa City. Um, She was completely paralyzed from the neck down and kept alive in an iron lung for about 90 days. In that moment, it's like, what are we going to do? Now, what do you do with that if you're her husband? Little did he know that his life calling would be simply to care for his wife. His primary calling in his life became in that moment to care for his wife. And for 44 years, his primary calling in his life has been to care for his wife. The unique task that God gave him was that, his primary calling. And he would say that to you today. Until I die or I can't anymore, I want to care for her, for Ruth. Now, what does that do for Ruth, the mom? You know what her prayer was? Her prayer was, I hope I can see my child before I die. And then as she started recovering a little bit, it's like, I hope I can see my kids grow up and maybe graduate from high school. And then her prayer became, you know what? It would be wonderful to see them get married and maybe even have kids. And now she's seeing great-grandkids. It's amazing. But what is her calling in her life? You know what it is? To stay alive. And to love her kids and her grandkids and her great-grandkids the best she can. Because every day is is hell on earth. It's hard. And she inspires people. That's her calling. Because she's courageous. Who would have guessed it? Am I paying attention to the things right around me, in front of me? What is God calling you to do? Who are the people right in front of you that he's asked you to pay attention to? God has this amazing capacity to take the mundane and the the little ordinary things of life and make them something extraordinary. Mother Teresa had this quote. She said, nobody can do great things for God. You can only do small acts with great love. Small acts with great love. God wants to take your ordinary life and make it extraordinary. But he wants you to pay attention to what's right in front of you. You see, 
Let me go back to Jeremiah. He says, suck it up, people. Bloom where you're planted. But then he goes on to say this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. In other words, I've got this. I've got this future thing. You don't have to worry about right now. What I want you to worry about is taking care of business right here, right now. I will take care of you. I will take care of your future. I will make sure you are where you need to be. You know what, friends? We can't live this kind of life apart from God. We can't live it. I'm convinced. And he invites us in. He said, I want you to go on adventure with me. I want you to be in relationship with me. I want you to trust me. Let's close in prayer. I want to say a prayer that was written almost 2,000 years ago. It's written by St. Augustine. Listen to the words. I think they're powerful. I hope that you can, can hear them and they'll rest on you this morning. Let's pray. O Lord, to be turned from you is to fall. To be turned to, to you is to rise. And to stand in you is to abide forever. Grant us in all our duties your help. In all our perplexities, your guidance. In all our dangers, your protection. And in all our sorrows, your peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.